And I'd wrap it up in one word. I would say that the big deal about Easter is belief. Uh, because uh, uh, it, it's the time where we're, uh, the, every, you know, basically the whole story of Christ comes to a tipping point. Like all through his life, Jesus talked about how he was going to die and rise and die and come back from the grave. And then on Easter, he actually does it. And in doing so, he verifies the rest of his story, the rest of his claims. So if, if you're a Christian, it's, it's, it's the verification, it's the solidification of our faith. We believe uh, because Jesus rose from the grave. We've been talking about that all week. We started last Sunday. It was Palm Sunday. And on Palm Sunday, Jesus actually entered into the, to the, the gates of Jerusalem. And everybody, man, they were so excited because they really saw him as their conquering king. He was going to come and overthrow Rome. And everybody uh, who followed him, they were convinced of an earthly kingdom to come. They actually said, blessed is, is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. They, like, they just were just so excited. But Jesus didn't ride into town on a white horse like a Roman general would have. He, he rode into town on the back of a donkey. He, he came as a servant, a suffering servant. He knew his mission wasn't to, to conquer Rome. His mission was to conquer sin. The week progressed. He came to Thursday night, and uh, it was time in, in the Jewish custom, the Jewish faith, for uh, all Jews to celebrate Passover. And so they joined together for a meal. We actually had a couple of those here at our church this past week. Anybody come to one of those? Yeah, I know you did. Some of you. Uh, but at this Passover meal that everybody celebrated, as, as, as the Jews did every year, uh, Jesus took one of the cups that was actually used, a cup of wine that was used in that meal, and he, he kind of redirected his, his friends and their understanding of it. He said, hey, this cup here, this cup is representative of the blood that I'm going to shed for you. It's representative of a new covenant that's going to be through me. And if, if, you, if you believe in me, then you can be reconciled to God. Do this in remembrance of me, he said. Well, that meal gave way to some time of prayer that he had in the garden. And then his friend Judas came and kissed him on a cheek. And, and the beginnings of what became his crucifixion were in place. He was ushered around Jerusalem to five just mockeries of trials. Uh, he ends up uh, being convicted of nothing. Nobody can find any fault. Even Pontius Pilate, the Roman ruler, says there's nothing wrong with this guy. And, and yet the, the Jewish leaders and, and their minions, they just continue to yell and scream for the crucifixion of our Savior. Uh, Pontius finally washes his hands. Remember that? And he says, hey, do what you will. And they did. He was marched out of the city gates and up this hill, place of execution called Golgotha. They nailed him to a cross that day. And Jesus, the perfect son of God, never sinned once, became sin for us. And on the cross, the Bible tells us, he died so that you and I don't have to. He paid so that you and I would have everlasting life. Now today, since you asked about Easter, today is the day that we celebrate the culmination of Christ's message. He said that he would come and die, and then he would raise from the dead. Why is that such a big deal? Well, not too many people have done it. And because Jesus was able to rise from the grave, it verified, like I said earlier, every claim that he had made in his life. If he was able to do that, he was truly God's son, and everything he said could be trusted. Man, if you're a Christian, this is the biggie. This is a big day. Because without it, let's just skip it. Everything else doesn't matter. But because Jesus rose from the grave, everything is in place, and he is worthy of our praise. That's what we're going to do right now after I get done uh, praying, we're going to lift our voices in song. Some of you might be different for you. Maybe it's, it's the songs you don't know. But listen, I pray that as you hear the words and maybe as you sing the words, 
you would join us in understanding that Jesus is he's not in the grave, that, that he's alive. You know, you go to every, else, every one of the other religions, uh, you know, prophets and fathers and, and, and leaders, and you can go to their grave sites. I mean, a lot of the followers of those religions, they go there, and in those graves are the actual bones and dust of those leaders. But you go to the one that the Christians believe in, uh, guess what? Ain't nobody home because Jesus isn't in the grave. He's alive, and through him we could have life. We're going to celebrate that together. Amen? Let me pray to that end. God, thanks so much for a chance to worship you now. And as we come to this time of just singing songs uh, for your name's sake, we want you to hear, God, the glory uh, or receive from us the glory that you deserve. We want you to hear the passion of our hearts as we lift your name in praise. We want you to know that because you have done what you have done, because you've given us Jesus and he's died and risen for our sins, We believe, God. We believe. We thank you. We lift you up. May you hear the worship of our voices and be pleased with what you hear. I pray this in Jesus' name. entered into a faith in Christ and, and you start thinking about all that that has entailed and all that ha- that has brought us, uh, it's, it's hard not to ask that question. Man, how is this possible? Amazing grace. How sweet. How is this? How is this? Yeah. We're going to talk about that today, about the importance of, a, of belief in any faith, but especially in the Christian faith. Uh, our faith is kind of separated from most of the religions. Most of the religions They tell you to believe, but they give you a whole bunch of hoops to jump through. Do this, don't do that. As long as you do all those things, then you're in. It's kind of like these hoops are the numbers in a combination lock. If you hit them all right, lock opens. But the Bible is kind of different. The Christian faith is not a faith of hoops. There's only one one requirement that, that unlocks a connection between man and God, and that is belief. Let's talk about belief. And get us going talking about belief. Here's what I want you to do. Turn to someone next to you. Uh, we're going to talk belief, and we're going to talk about doubt, which is kind of the opposite of belief. Uh, but here's what I want you to ask, uh, mention to someone next to you. Just turn next to someone, uh, or turn to someone next to you, and say, "Here's what I believe, and here's what I doubt." Can be anything. I know you're in church. You're going to try to make it spiritual. It doesn't have to be. You could say, "I believe that Duke will beat Wisconsin." I don't care. I, I, I really don't care. But. Uh, uh, But whatever it is that you believe, say it. Whatever it is that you doubt, say it, and I'll pick it up after you're done. Go. One thing you believe, one thing you doubt. Did anybody say, I believe he's going to go long? Did anybody say that? (laughs) Or I doubt he's going to finish on time? Did anybody say that? Yeah, don't worry, your ham will be there. Settle down. Uh, let me tell you some of the things I believe. I don't know what you said, but here's, here's how I want to start talking about belief. The first thing I'd tell you about what I believe is that I believe everybody believes in something. Do you believe that? I think it is patently human to believe. Everybody's got to believe. Here's why. Because belief is basically what we do. Faith is what we invoke when we aren't sure. Faith is what we do when we just can't be certain. Like the future, anybody got that nailed down? You got plans, but do you know that that's exactly what's going to happen? 
No. So by faith or in belief, you move forward into your future, but you don't have control over it. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a faith or belief exercise. Uh, things that we don't understand, we, just, we, we plug in belief and faith where we don't understand or can't control. Now, here's, here's one thing that I doubt. I believe that everybody believes in something, but I, I doubt that everybody believes in what they believe in all the time. <laughs> Does everybody get that? That's kind of confusing when I wrote it, but you know what I mean? I, I guess another way I could say it is I believe that people doubt. Uh, no matter what you believe in, there, there's, there's times in life where you no longer believe in that thing because it, you've, you've found it not to be true. I, I was at the corner bakery up there by uh, 60 in the mall, uh, and, and I was meeting with some people and counseling with them, and I had to go to the bathroom, so I walked into what I believed was the men's restroom. <laughs> and I can't tell you what happened, how I got it messed up. The signs were right there on the wall. It wasn't confusing at all. I just, I don't know, my head was somewhere else, and I just walked into the ladies' restroom. And, and uh, when I started to not have the conviction that this was the men's restroom was when I didn't see a urinal. That that's was the first sign. Usually there's one of those in the guys' rooms, ladies. And so then I started kind of doing the math. Who's had that slow, like, burn almost, you know, oh, this is not right, this is not going. I doubt, I doubt, I doubt. And then I walked out of the uh, restroom. That's how that worked. My belief became doubt. Anybody had that person that you counted on in life and they let you down? And for a long time you believed in that person, but because of that disappointment? I mean, as good Christians, I know we forgive, but, but, but the Bible also tells us to be as wise as serpents and gentle as doves. When, when people get a reputation or people get, uh, get kind of, you know, the boy who cried wolf type thing starts happening, you know, they, they show themselves to be untrustworthy, you stop trusting them. And, and, and that brings me to a good point about doubt. Is, is all doubt wrong? Or is all doubt bad? No. A doubt is like a healthy thing. If, if you're going to be on a quest for truth, you've got to be uh, a healthy skeptic because you have to be able to weed out all the falsehoods as you're on your way to truth. Isn't that true? Like if, if you and I were just kind of, you know, Bambi, you know, deer in the headlights, uh, believe everything we hear, uh, we'd run into some trouble in life, right? We'd, we'd be answering emails from princes in Nigeria who want to sell us, you know, a diamond mine or a share in one. Anybody ever gotten that email? You know, uh, yeah, and, and if we aren't discerning in those things, we can be duped. And so doubt, skepticism can be healthy. But if, if left unchecked, it can be one of the most harmful things that ever happens to us in relationships, in life in general. In fact, how many of you have missed out on something great because you just believed it was too good to be true when you heard it? Anybody heard that? That's, or anybody experienced that? You know, someone told you, like, uh, hey, I got tickets, box seats, in the owner's box at Raymond James, you know, for the Super Bowl. Yeah, right you do. Like, you've got that kind of pull. Whatever. Yeah, have a good time at the Super Bowl. <laughs> and then the person, like, uh, you know, takes a selfie of himself and the owner of the Bucks in the owner's and says, wish you were here. And you're like, oh, if I had only believed, right? Yeah, doubt can cause you to miss out. And so, so certainly some doubt, good. Too much doubt, too much skepticism. That's going to lead to mess. It wasn't always this way for us, uh, that skepticism and doubt kind of reigned in our lives. Uh, as little kids, we were ready to believe, right? Like, uh, you tell your little kids anything, they're like, done, gospel, true, over, got it, right? And that, who as a parent, any parents among us, ever told your kids stuff just to see if they would believe it? <laughs> hey, Dad, what's the moon made out of? Cheese? Really? 
Yeah, man, you got some crackers? Let's go. It'll be fun. We'll eat for years. Yeah, awesome, Dad. I didn't know the moon was cheese. And he goes off to, like, you know, pre-K, and he's like, did you know the moon was made out of cheese? You're an idiot. Anyway, uh, <laughs> Dad, who's the strongest man in the world? Well, I am, of course. Awesome. I'm glad you live here. I'm going to tell everybody else that you could take their dad because you're the strongest man in the world. As little kids, we're just ready to believe anything. It's that innocence. And, and, you know, we're going to get to this in a little bit, but that's what Jesus asks of those who would believe in him is a childlike faith. But that's hard for us who grow up past childhood, isn't it? Isn't it amazing that the smarter we get, the more skeptical and cynical that we Anybody with me on that? Like uh, the more information we have packed in here, the more questions seem to fall out of our, our, our mouths and our heads, the more things that we require of actually being sure of things. That's the price of moving past childhood. We start losing our faith in, in place we put doubt. I don't know about you, the older I get, uh, maybe it's kind of reversing again. I'm, I'm starting to realize I don't know as much as I thought I did. Anybody getting there? When I was 20, I knew everything. Just ask me. I, I'll tell you how life should be, and it's because I'm 20, and I've finally figured everything out. I'm 20, right? And then you get past 20, and your parents are getting smarter every year you're alive, and, and then you're where they were, and you're like, wow, how dumb am I? I don't know anything. That's how I feel like I am. <sighs> Faith and doubt. Where did it get to start? Well, uh, I believe everything has its start in the theological, because I'm a theist. I believe that God made everything, and, and everything kind of starts and stops with him, terminates everything, it, it at least stems from him in some way. And so doubt came into the world around the same time that sin came into the world, if you're going to read the Bible and go by what it says. See, uh, the, the way that sin got started, you go three chapters into your Bible, in Genesis chapter 3, there's this guy, uh, uh, Adam and his wife Eve, and they're just hanging out in this garden, and they're the first humans, and they're, everything's great, you know, they're just kind of living in perfect harmony with each other and with God. And then this, <laughs> this, this snake comes into the garden. He's a, a fallen angel. He goes by Lucifer. He's also known as Satan or the devil. And he comes into the garden. His whole mission, once he's been kicked out of heaven, is just to just destroy, just crush everything that God has made for good. And so he comes to his chief creation, uh, the, 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 the ultimate in God's creativity. And he comes to, to mankind, to the woman first, and then through the woman to the man. And he's, he, he, what's he start with? Does he come right out with a bold-faced lie? He gets to one. Remember what he said? He says, you know what? God doesn't want you to eat of this fruit because you'll be just like him. Your eyes will be opened. You'll be just like God. That was a lie. So Satan certainly lied. But that, he saved that for last. Did, did he come with just bold-faced denials of what God said was true? No, he did that too. He, he, when he said, no, we're allowed to eat of any of the trees. We can't eat of this one tree because if we eat of this one tree, we're going to die. And Satan just turns to Eve, and it's actually with an exclamation point, and it's the first surely in all of history. He goes, surely you will not die if you do that. I mean, that was just, just you know, bold-faced, coming strong, denying what God said to be true. But that's not how he started. You know how he started? He comes into the garden. He slides up to Eve, and he says, hey, did God, and this is what it actually says in the English Standard Version, did God actually tell you that you can't eat from any of the trees in the garden? Now, God hadn't told them that they couldn't eat from any of the trees, just one of them. But how did Satan phrase it? Hey, did God actually do this? What did he call in the question? He, he, he says, hey, are you sure? You got any doubts about what God set up as your standards, Eve? 
That's how he started, doubt. I would, I would submit this to you that, that almost all of the sins that we commit, uh, they start with some kind of doubt. Ah, God's not serious about this one. Ah, it's, it's not going to matter. No one's going to find out. Just doubt. It's a theological thing. It's a, a part of, of, of sin in our lives. And this sin, just so you know, is, is why Easter was necessary. When sin came into life, there was a, a, a separation that was created between man and God, and that separation had to be bridged. It had to be paid for by someone uh, who was, who was a, a, a perfect sacrifice, someone who was right for the job, and that person was Jesus. And that's why the Christians get all fussed out on Easter, because Jesus came, died, rose again, and because he did, what has been separated can be joined together again. Man can be with God. The question is, do you believe it? 2,000 years of Christian history, and that's been the ultimate question in the whole story. Do you believe? I know many of you sit here this morning and you do. Some of you kind of do. Some of you are close. Some of you are like, man, arms folded, ears plugged, do your best. I'm just here so I can get some ham later. I'm, I'm just here to make sure that she stays off my case for another year. I'll go again next year at the same time, but that's it. Hey, you know what my hope is today? My hope is, is that we look at doubt and faith and how it's kind of talked about in the story we're going to talk about in the Bible. My, my prayer is that every one of us, no matter where we are, we take another step forward in faith in who God says he is in the Scriptures and who he says his son is, that, that if we already believe that our, our faith would go deeper, that if we don't yet believe that this would be the day, I pray, this is what I've been praying all weekend. I've got to tell you, man, this, this uh, Easter's like the, the church's Super Bowl. I mean, everybody, show, everybody shows up, and it's just a big old party. And, uh, and, and so I, I think the adversary that I was just talking about, Satan, he just, he just goes on full tilt. And he's just trying to keep me and anybody else who could speak truth into your ears uh, from saying things clearly. Because and, and, he doesn't want anybody to go from doubt to faith. He wishes that all would doubt. But here's my prayer, that all of us would hear the gospel that Jesus has for us, the good news of, of life with him that we'd believe it and that we'd forever be changed. Can I pray to that end? Hey, God, thanks so much for a chance to just talk. I know I've already preached half the sermon, uh, but, Lord, I want to involve you in this because this is your, your thing. You, you need to speak to the hearts of men and women and children in here. You need, you need to remove doubt and in place put faith. I can't do that. I'm not smart enough. or um, I just can't do that, but you can. Uh, so, Lord, speak through me and lead us to faith, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bibles, you can open them to John chapter 20. We're eventually going to get there. We're going to talk about, about a guy named Thomas. He's one of the disciples. Remember Thomas? Great English muffins. You ever had them? Sorry, that's horrible. Anyway, um, Thomas doesn't get a whole lot of press time. He's usually just listed in the, in, the, in the lists of the 12 disciples. But he does have like three or four times in the scriptures where he, he gets some lines. Let's look at some of those. And here's what we're going to see. Thomas is best known for what? Starts with D, sounds like fouting. Yeah, doubting. Thomas was best known for the, the fact that he doubted that Jesus was risen from the grave. We're going to get there eventually. But, but it didn't start there. His doubting wasn't something that just kind of, you know, came out of nowhere. I think it was kind of something that was a slow-growing thing in Thomas, and it kind of came up over time. Uh, it started when we first see Thomas, and we see that he's a go-along Thomas. Now, some of you might be go-along Thomases right now. Here's what I mean. 
you're kind of in the conversation. You, your parents have been Christian. Their parents are Christian. You've always gone to church. It's kind of what you do, culturally speaking. It's just kind of where you find yourself, right? But, but, what, but you have some serious questions, just like anybody. I have serious questions. You have, serious, you have these serious questions, but your questions are so serious that you're just kind of, you're not all the way in, but you're just kind of going with the flow, right? It's what everybody's doing that I know, so it's what I'm doing too. Thomas was that way, I think. Let me, let me tell you why. Let's, let's read the story. First of all, let me a little background. Jesus says this. Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. Well, who's Lazarus? One of his buddies. Like a really good friend of, of Jesus was this guy named Lazarus, and we don't know how he died, but he died. And his two sisters, Martha and Mary, were great friends with Jesus too. They get some play in the Bible. Uh, but, but Lazarus dies, and uh, it's obviously, you know, I don't know if you have a close friend. Think of him. If they had died, what would you do? You'd want to go and be with the family, mourn with the family. But Jesus, the Son of God, knows that he's got much more to offer this family than just a hug. He wants to come, and he's eventually going to go, and a Lazarus is going to be one of the only people in recorded history who comes back to life from the dead. That's what the Bible tells us. Jesus calls him out of his tomb. Lazarus, get up. And he comes back from the dead. Anybody like to have been there for that one? I would have. Jesus says, hey, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there. He's talking to his disciples now, and he's saying, listen, it's so good that we were there. And they're like, why? You're the healer. You could have kept him from dying. You could have, you've healed so many other people. You could have kept him from dying. He's like, no, this is perfect. And they're like, that's kind of mean. He says, no, it's for your sake that I, it's so good for your sake. That I, so that why? So that you may, what? Believe. You know how many times John's uh, gospel mentions this Greek word, pistuo? It's the Greek word for believe. A hundred and one times. Remember John 3.16, for God so loved the world that whoever believes in him will not perish. It's one of the end zone verses you see at football games. I mean, John just keeps pumping this word, believe, believe. He's going to tell the story, but his emphasis is, hey, don't just hear the story, believe the story. Jesus didn't do anything except that he was trying to draw people into belief in him, not just trying to give them a good show. He says, oh, man, it's going to be great. You're going to see me raise Lazarus from the dead, and I pray, I hope, I trust that it's going to lead you deeper into belief. Your belief is going to grow. He says, so let us go to him. Now, that, that's an interesting phrase, and if we had time, we'd read the whole story, but just prior to Jesus saying, hey, Lazarus is dead, I'm so glad so that you can believe, but we're going to go to him now. This is in response to the disciples who had been saying to Jesus, do not go into Jerusalem or Bethany, which is just outside Jerusalem. Do not go there. Why? Because at this stage in Jesus' life, all of the people who were enemies of Jesus wanted him dead. Like we have several instances in the Gospels where we know that the chief priests and the leaders, the religious leaders of the time, they got together with people and they plotted against Jesus to kill him. Like assassins were hired. It's like a, you know, a movie, you know, like a, an action flick. And so Jesus, if he starts moving around, he's over on the other side of the Jordan now. He's out in the wilderness. He's kind of in a safe spot. But if he starts moving around near and uh, in, in the city of Jerusalem around there, there's a good chance that he's going to get aced and everybody who follows him with him. We know ultimately that's what's going to happen. It's called the crucifixion. But the disciples were like, hey, let's let things cool down. Maybe we'll stay outside of Jerusalem for Passover this year. Let's just, let's just bide our time. But well, before he Passover even gets started, Jesus says, hey, we're going to go to Lazarus' funeral. And they're all like, no. So here comes Thomas. Ready? So Thomas, called the twin, that's what his name actually means, Didymus means twin, uh, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go 
that we may die with him. Now, those words sound different depending on the tone that you take, right? Like if you're like Rambo disciple, and all the other disciples are like, no, let's not go, but here's Thomas. He's like, you know, I don't know if he'd spit job, but you know, he, he kind of stands up there and he's like, no, let us also go with him that we may die also. Right, he's got a big T on his chest, you know, and he's like, super Thomas. Is that, is that, that's one way you can read this, you know. Thomas is big and bad. I just had something to go through my head, and I can't say it out loud. All right. Uh, but if, and some, some scholars have actually uh, determined that that's what, you know, Thomas was doing. This was a good thing for Thomas. But listen, if you read the rest of Thomas and his story, this, this doesn't really fit with his character, especially if you take into account the fact that all of the disciples, it doesn't say 11 of the disciples apart from Thomas, were trying to convince Jesus to stay out of Jerusalem. It says all the disciples were telling Jesus, don't go into town. So Jesus just becomes... <laughs> the voice of dissent from the disciples. Here's what, how I, I picture it saying. I, I picture him saying it this way. Well, I guess he's not going to change his mind. So let's also go into town with him so that we can also die. Wah, wah, wah. It gets all Eeyore on the situation. Remember that, Winnie the Pooh? It's my birthday, right? And he basically just resigned to the fact, we're going to die anyway, it might as well be now. This guy's done so many crazy things, so many people hate him, we're all dead. Let's just go. Let's get it over with. That's how I picture Thomas. He's just going along. He's like, he's like the wife whose husband announces to her on a Saturday morning, you know what, I'm going to put that addition on the house this morning. I've got a hammer, I've got some nails, it's going to happen, we're going to do it. And the wife comes up, to the, just pats him on the shoulder, there, there, dear, you go and have a good morning. She's not disagreeing with him, she loves him. Does she think he's going to do it? No, she's not on board. She just loves him. I don't think Thomas was necessarily on board, but he's going with the flow. Maybe that describes you in your journey with Christ. He's kind of hanging out. Other people are believing. They look, you look like you do, but you're just going along. And on the inside, you got your doubts. Thomas shows up again in chapter 14. He shows up as dazed and confused, Thomas. Here Jesus makes a statement and Thomas doesn't get it. It's like Thomas has been hanging out with Jesus for like three years. He's been saying this stuff over and over and over again in so many different ways and he still hasn't picked up what Jesus is putting down. You ever had that class in school? You know, it's, it's algebra two and you're sitting there and you can read some of the numbers. The letters are way confusing. But you sit there and you nod every, and oh, is this, oh, I get it now. And then you get to the test and you, you, you miss like two-thirds of them and you're like, no, still don't get it. That's what Thomas shows up doing. Look at what it says. Jesus says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I'll take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. He's, he's been saying this stuff. I'm going to come, I'm going to live, I'm going to die, I'm going to rise again, and then I'm going to go to prepare a place for you. He's been saying it in so many different ways, prophetic ways, teaching. It's done it all over the place. He's just reiterating what he's told him. He says, and you know. So since I've been telling you this stuff, you know the way to where I am going. You guys have got this down. Thomas raises his hand in the back of the twelve. Here's what he says. Uh, excuse me, Lord. And he won't speak for himself. Just everybody here. Just, you know, none of us know. We, we do not know where you are going. Uh, how can we know the way? Still don't get it. And Jesus says these words. If you've heard them, you know them when you see them. He says, well, I'm the way, Thomas. I've been telling you this all along. I came so that I can be the way. I came because I am the truth. I came because I am your only hope for eternal life. I'm the life. 
And if that's not clear, let me say it one more time. No one gets to God. No one gets to the Father unless they come through me. There's never been, well, probably other things are as definitive, but Jesus very clearly states there, hey, listen, you want to get to God? It's not through your behaviors. It's not through some other religious system. His claim, and you've got to take it, he's either, he's either a liar or he's a loony or he's, he's who he says he is. He's the Lord. When he says, no one comes to God except through me, you've got to pick one of those three, liar, loony, or Lord. But Thomas didn't get it. You can almost see the, the, the doubt kind of gurgling inside his head, right? Huh? Just can't quite get his arms around it. I mean, I've been going along with the flow, hoping to get what I could get out of this thing. Most of his followers really were convinced that Jesus was going to set up an earthly kingdom. They were going to be like, uh, you know, knights of the round table for Jesus. They were going to have places at his court. And, and they would argue about who would be the greatest and all this stuff. I mean, Thomas was one of them. He, he had this picture, I believe, of, of what was going to happen with Jesus. And every time Jesus would open his mouth and say something to the contrary, he'd be like, huh? Maybe that's you. Maybe even in this first 20 minutes of me talking, you're like, I don't get it. I don't know what he's talking about. Well, you're in good company. A guy who spent three years with Jesus on earth didn't get him. Jesus patiently stuck with this guy. Well, Jesus dies, goes to the tomb, comes out of it on Sunday morning. Woohoo! Grave couldn't hold him. Booyah! Right? He shows up. Guess who's missing? Thomas. Let's read that story. Let's read about doubting Thomas. Now, Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. We don't know why. Maybe he was so despondent over the crucifixion of his Savior, he just stayed away. Anybody get that way when you have a hard time in life? Just got to get away? Now, maybe that was Thomas. He wasn't with the other guys. But the other guys, they saw Jesus. He appeared to them in the, pre- in the verses just previous to this. So Thomas comes back to the other, the other guys, the ten. Judas is gone now. To the ten who had seen him. And the ten who had seen him say, hey, we've seen the Lord. I mean, I mean that's all it says in the Bible. But you got to know that every one of them says, oh, my gosh, Thomas, you should have been here. It was amazing. Door was locked, walked right in, told us to come up and touch the wounds, the whole thing. It was, it was unbelievable. One after another, relating the story. Thomas says this then, but he said, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, what's he say? I will what? Never. My doubt is on lock. It's not changing. I got to see before I'll believe. I want the same thing that you've had. And until then, doubt is how I'm going to roll. Let me explain with the time I have left what Jesus wants to do with our doubt. How does Jesus want to help us with our doubt? Maybe you're here and you haven't crossed the line of faith yet. How does Jesus want to help you with that? Maybe you're here and you have a faith in Jesus, but Man, life has just rocked you. Isn't that when doubt comes up? Can we just talk about that as kind of, of, of a, the birthplace of a lot of doubts? Is when life goes horribly wrong. Everything was going great, swimmingly, I'm having a great life, and all of a sudden I go for a checkup and now I'm in chemo. Or all of a sudden I come home and, and she or he is not here anymore because behind my back they've started something else. Are you with me? Job's gone. Money's lost. When these things come, when life's calamities come, just like it did for Thomas, the man he dedicated his life to for three years dies. 
I think that was a little, little bit of a shaker for him. So, of course, doubt comes in. What does Jesus want to do in those times when doubt is in our life? He wants, first of all, to grant us peace. This is one of the greatest messages of the Christian faith, is that God doesn't come to impose this you know, lofty and heavy set of rules on us to, to, to rule us and run us. So, so many people think that's who God is. He's just up there, and he's just kind of got a, you know, a clipboard, and he's just looking at you and being, oh, oh no. Oh, look, at, he did that. That's not God at all. He's a God of grace and love and mercy. And his mission on earth was to come and bring peace. That's what the angels sang about when he was born. Remember that? Glory to God in the highest. Peace on earth. Goodwill towards men. This is a good thing. Jesus is coming so that there might be peace in our hearts and in our relationship with God. That's what he says to the disciples. Eight days later, his disciples are inside again, and Thomas was with him. And all the door, although the doors were locked, all, yeah, how's, it go? how's your English? Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them, and he said, what? Peace be with you. Now, this was real practical because, uh, well, the other guys had already seen him, so they were probably going up to give Jesus a hug. Good to see you again. But who was the one dude in the corner going like, <laughs> Tommy, right? Tommy's in the corner freaking out. And Jesus just kind of wades through the other ten guys, and he goes straight to the corner to Tommy. He says, I think he says this straight to Tommy. Hey, Tom, peace, bro. Peace be with you. I've come. I'm here to show you that I'm I'm a a peacemaker. I want to bring peace to your life. He wants to do that for us internally. He wants to take all the things that swirl and twirl in us, the the hard things of our life, and he wants to bring peace. This, this contentedness, this peace that surpasses understanding to those circumstances of our life so that we can make it through them. If you're a Christian, you, you probably know a little bit about what I mean. See, this is one of the great things about a Christian faith is that, hey, man, life happens, but Jesus, he's given me peace. No matter what the storms are, I'm going to get through this because peace is mine. But like I said, peace Peace isn't just something that's internal. Peace is this thing that's external. It's a peace that's brokered spiritually between us and God. Did you know what the Bible says about people who don't have faith in Jesus Christ? I'll tell you. It says that people who don't have faith in Jesus Christ, really good, nice people, are still enemies of God. You're like, that doesn't seem fair. How can God take good, nice people and call them enemies? Well, there's no real good, nice people. Did you know that? The Bible says that there's none righteous. No, not one. I mean, you might be better than you know, your neighbor, way better than your other neighbor, right? Come on. But there's no such thing as a good, righteous, nice, worthy person. All of us sin and fall short of the glory of God. And so because that's true, the Bible says, hey, man, we're separated from God. We are subject to objects of the wrath of God, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2. If, if we don't have Jesus in place then, then this God who is holy and righteous, he, even though he loves us, he's just and he can't connect to us because we're not perfect. He is. I, uh, I had my license revoked this week. <laughs> Speaking of sin, uh, anybody want to know why? Anybody curious? How'd the pastor get his license taken away? This is going to be rich. Uh, well, it was actually quite innocent. I, I went in, I registered for a car that we're going to give to my daughter. This, this, you know, it's a, it was a gracious uh, provision to us, but it's, you know, it's just this old car that um, it's, it's just been sitting in my parking you know, area in my house. 
waiting for her to get her license so that she could drive. Well, I was going in. We had just switched out an old truck of ours for another truck, and, and so um, I was in registering that. And I was like, well, two birds, one stone. I'll register them both. I'll insure the one because I drive that, and I won't insure the other one because she's not driving it yet. I mean, come on. Why would you insure a car that's parked in your parking lot, in your driveway? Well, apparently Florida has a problem with that. Because as soon as you uh, uh, register a car, you have to give proof of insurance for it. And so I gave, this is what happened. I gave the lady insurance for my other truck. She thought it was insurance for both of the vehicles. I never signed up the one. They revoked my license, and uh, I had to pay a fairly hefty fine. All the money I saved not registering my, or getting insurance for my car, I now give into the state of Florida. How's it going? Thank you, government. So I went into the DMV that day, and I went right up to the desk, and I just, Jesus cleansed the temple. Wow! I just took everything off the desk and started kicking over chairs, right? Isn't that what I did? Just lost my mind. You might have seen me on Bay News 9. Did anybody see me? Is that what I did in the DMV? No, I just walked in, and I was like, hey, man, I don't think I broke a rule. I certainly didn't mean to, but you're the law. And if you say that I need to give you X amount of dollars so you can give me back my license, I guess that's what's going to go down. Here's my check. You could disagree with God and his righteousness and his ways. It doesn't matter. In the end, it's still going to be the way it is, right? And here's the great thing about Jesus. He came to broker our peace. Where nothing, because here's the deal. You might come up to God and say, hey, God, I'm great. I'm good. I'm way better than my neighbor. Way better than my other neighbor. But he's going to be like, no, that's not it. You don't have what you need. That's not currency when it comes to paying for your sin debt. The only currency that counts here is, is the Jesus platinum card. You've got to have Jesus, and that's it. I walked into Thornton's down here. You know, got me a soda after. It was a hot day on Saturday. And Saturday at Thornton's is like, you know, uh, you know, Black Friday at Walmart. It's like everybody's at the gas station. And so I'm standing in this line, you know, you know, like a day at Disney, right? Just, you know. And I get up to the counter, and I put my soda up there, and I was like, you know, 99 cents. And I go, oh, don't you hate that, right? Because I had my wallet, like the last stop, but I threw it in the seat, you know, next to me as I was getting in on the phone. I forgot, And so it wasn't in my pocket. All the people behind me, right? Because I'm like, I gotta go to my truck. Sorry, <laughs> and run out to the truck, grab my wallet, give them a dollar. Sorry, everybody, you know, get get out of Dodge before they stone me. But uh, but just so you know, in the end, in life, if if you get to the gates of heaven, jokes start that way a lot, right? Two guys show up at the gates. Of, no, if you seriously get to the gates of heaven, and you say, "Hey, God, I was good." He's going to be, hey, man, you forgot your wallet. Well, let me run to the truck. You don't have a truck. The only way you're getting in here is through faith in my son, Jesus. That's why Jesus, the second thing he wants to do when it comes to dealing with our doubt is he wants to bring peace, but he wants to lead us to belief. He says to Thomas, he goes right to Thomas, right to the corner where Thomas is cowering in fear, and he says to Thomas, hey, man, put your finger here. See my hands. Put out your hands. Place them in my side. He says, do not disbelieve, but believe. He starts out with saying, come here, buddy. Come check all this stuff out. I heard you needed to see these things before you believe. In fact, you said you would never believe unless you saw these things. Let me show you. Get close. And then he gives him an imperative, this guy that he's known for three, three and a half years. He says, hey, bro, you should know better. Believe. That's what Jesus wants to do with you. He wants to pull you in close. 
Maybe not, you know, literally show you wounds in his hands and in his side, but he wants to pull you close. You know how you get close to Jesus? The Bible says that faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of God. You want to get to know Jesus? Get to know his book. So many people make up their mind about Jesus after watching like half of a documentary on Discovery Channel. Oh, there, you see, Da Vinci go. They prove Jesus was false. Off we go. I believe what I believe, you know. And you don't give Jesus the time. Think about that. Think, think about the things that you trust most in life. They're the things that you have the most time with. Has anybody ever recommended someone for a job? Like, uh, like I'm, I'm working on a house right now to fix up a house, and so I got all these contractors that I'm having to bring in, septic, electric, all these things. And I'm talking with people who are in that business and saying, hey, do you have a guy? I trust you, and I trust you to bring me someone that you trust. Do you have a guy? And they'll be like, oh, I got your guy right here. And they give me a phone number, and sure enough, he's a trustworthy guy. Well, how did they come to that? That, that idea or that understanding that this person is worthy of trust. Well, they would had experiences with them. These guys, these contractors had worked with these people before on other projects, and they saw that they were on time, and they did the job right, and they had a good price. So this is the person you want to bring in when you're doing your job. It comes from time spent. You know, Jesus wants, just give him some time. Don't just discard him. Things didn't go right in life. You had your chance, Jesus. I'm out. Give him a chance. Get to know him. Learn about him. Hang out with people who, you know, one of my favorite experiences this year is I got to hang out with a guy who was just like, hey, man, forearm shiver. I mean, I love my, you know, my fiance at the time. I love her. Uh, you know, she, she's, she's his wife now, but she's a Christian. I'm not. And, and for her sake, I'm going to listen, but, you know, I got so many questions. And my buddy Brandon and I just started hanging out, and he started talking with other people, and he started, I said, hey, read this. Read the book of John. Read all these things. Just, just dive in. Examine Jesus. See if you can figure him out. And for, for months we met from time to time, answering questions, talking through things. What about this? What about that? That's a great question. And we just talked and hung out. You know what Jesus kind of did to him? He did this whole spiritual erosion thing. He kind of sanded down the corners of his doubt. He smoothed out some of his problems with faith. And it got to the point this past year uh, where my buddy Brandon prayed to receive Christ in the parking lot out back. And, 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 and how did that happen? Was it... Bright light, saw on the road to Damascus, everything's changed. No, it took some time. But you know what? Over time, you can grow in faith. That's what Jesus wants to do with us. He wants to lead us to himself. Give him a chance. Give him a chance. What's the only reaction of people who, who have uh, been approached to Jesus in, by Jesus in their doubt, shown the peace of God, shown the direction of Christ? What happens to us when... When Jesus helps us with our doubt, the same thing that happened to Thomas. We can't help but make him our Lord and our God. Look what Thomas' reaction is. Thomas says, this is all we got. Thomas says this. We don't hear from him again. Thomas says, my Lord and my God. That's it. Doesn't go and touch his hands. Doesn't go and feel his side. Just standing there, hearing from Jesus, hearing the command to believe. He just says, I'm in. You're my Lord and you're my God. Three things. You're my Lord. You're in charge. Secondly, you're my God. That's a big deal. This is one of the first times that any human had ever said of Jesus, you are God. Peter had said, you're the Christ. You're the sent one from God. But Thomas is the first one to say, no, nope, you're, you're God's son. You are God himself. And when Thomas said that, you know what he said? He said, everything that's ever come out of your mouth has come from the mouth of God. It's all true. I could believe all of it because you're Lord and you are God. And did you see what the pronoun was there? He said, my Lord. Emphasis, my. 
He said, my God. And this is the thing that separates the Christian faith from every other religion. It's personal. It's not your kind of the, you know, you've joined the big hole. You're jumping through all the hoops with everybody else. And as long as you, you know, hit all your marks, you're in. No, this is personal. This is you and God on a personal basis, sorting through faith, wrestling with doubts. And you, I pray, come into the conclusion that Jesus is who he says he was. And he becomes your Lord and your God. He's my Lord. He's my God. And that's my prayer for you this morning. I know you got some ham to get to. So let me say this as we end an Easter Sunday together. You can come to church again. I pray you do. I pray it's before next Easter. I pray we get to hang out often. You're going to hear me, I pray, uh, many times, talk about Jesus in lots of different ways. We're going to start a new series next week talking about how we're wired. Come back and hear more about that. But, the, but the, if you boil down every message I ever preach, it's going to come down to what I just talked about today, that there is a God that he made us for himself that he loves us so much that even though sin has separated us from him, he wants to bring us back into relationship with him, and he's done that through one way and one way only. It's his son, Jesus Christ. His son was sent to live a perfect life so it could be a perfect sacrifice, die for you and I, pay the price that we could never pay. Raised from the grave, grave, proving that he was God's son, proving that he had power over sin. And then bottom line (laughs) is that this whole Christian thing starts, ends, and has its in-betweens in, in with you believing that one central truth. Oh, man, don't lose that. If you've already believed, don't lose sight of that. We have been saved by grace in a magnificent and miraculous way. How can it be? Amazing love. But if you're here this morning and you haven't made that move yet, listen. I'm going to pray a prayer. It's a prayer that you could say right now and you can make that transfer from doubt to faith. You can become a follower of Jesus Christ. A prayer you can pray anytime, anywhere. It's the difference between following Jesus, being with Jesus, and being without him. It's this faith thing. You pray in faith these words. Close your eyes. Think through these things. If they're the prayer of your heart, pray them today. Become a follower of Jesus Christ. It starts something like this. God, I believe. I believe you're real. I believe your son is real. I believe that he was sent for the sake of all who have sinned, and I'm among them. I I sin. I know I can't save myself. I don't have a wallet, and Jesus is my only currency when it comes to salvation. So I put my faith in him. Help me with my unbelief. Lead me deeper into what it is to have faith in you. Help me with my doubts. I receive what you have given to me on the cross, your salvation, and I make you my Lord and my God. I pray this believing. And in Jesus' name, I ask these things. Amen. If you pray that at any time, that's how Christianity begins. I pray if it, if it started for you today, you come and let me know in the corner. I pray if you have the opportunity to do that sometime soon, you can come and let me know after you do it. But I pray that every one of us, like I said at the beginning, would move forward today in our journey of faith. May God bless you as you go. Have a great Easter. Jesus is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. God bless you as you go.